Radio. Breaking Open the Mass. A talk by Father Anthony Percy at the Immaculate Mission School 2013, held at St. Thomas Beckett Parish in Lewisham, Sydney. So, as you know, I'm the rector of the seminary. So, in our first year program, we have a, a thing called a spiritual year. And our guys have a technological fast for the whole year. I don't know if you heard of this or not. So, there's no television. There's actually no television anywhere in the first year building. There's no mobile phone for the whole year. And there's no internet for the whole year. So, we, we call it a technological fast. Do you think you'd stand up to that? And it's, um, it's a wonderful thing because it teaches them that there's a whole sort of another aspect of life. I don't know whether you heard the story of the, um, this fellow in America had 10,000 friends on Facebook. Have you heard this? And he, he called a party. He was living down in Texas. He called a party to see how many people would come out of the 10,000. How many came? 5,000? How many? Have a guess. Two people? Two people. Out of 10,000 friends, 4,000 or four people. Any other takers? Any other estimates? Come on, let's have a competition. Whoever gets closest, I'll give you $50 or something. Like <laughs> 50, 500, none, 10, 600, one. It's actually four people came. I'll give you the money later. <laughs> So it's amazing. So I say to the seminarians, look, you know, you say you've got 35 friends on Facebook, but probably in fact you've got none. <laughs> so because it's sort of, a, a sort of a superficial type of thing in a sense. So this technological fast is really, really good for them and uh, it opens them up, which is not to say that once the fast is off, they're not going to go back to their, their ways. But it just, just really realise how much time you can waste on these things and how much time you're actually missing on a true encounter. So on that theme, we want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the masses and encounter. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to get vested in front of you. I'm going to say the vesting prayers, and I'm going to take you through the mass. But I don't want to do all the talking, so at any time you have a question, I'm going to answer it. So you may have a question. But arguably, the mass is the most important prayer that you'll ever do. And the reason for that is, is because it's Christ's prayer, which is infinitely greater than our prayer. So when you come to mass, you're joining yourself in the prayer of Christ. And what is the prayer? Well, the prayer is his death and resurrection and actually his ascension. So it makes that fully present for us. So by means of the words of the consecration, which I'll take you through, those mysterious events of Christ's life, his death, dying for us, going down to death and then rising again is made present. So that's something that you can't construct yourself. So when you come to Mass, you're simply joining yourself to this mysterious action. Now, it's taken place in your baptism. When you're baptised, you're baptised into his death and resurrection. The word baptised means to be immersed in. So it's just a baptise is a, a Greek word meaning to immerse. So I immerse you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it begins there. But the Mass perfects this whole mysterious action of Christ's death and resurrection. So the... the um this, this thing here I'm going to put on is called an amos. And there are these old vesting prayers. Now, I just take this off because it makes it a lot cooler. Otherwise, it gets very, very hot. So I just wind that in there. Not all priests would do this. Father Anthony Bernard, I don't know what he does. But um, this is what I do. So this is, Place, O Lord, on my head the helmet of salvation, that I may overcome the assaults of the devil. So the, these prayers, in fact, these very ancient prayers, and I teach all the new priests to say them, 
as best they can. In a parish, sometimes you can't say them because you've got you know, people running everywhere and you can't really settle yourself. Uh, servers over here are ready on occasion, not ready on other occasions and different things. So you just, you know, you, you can't always do them. But they are very, very symbolic and very meaningful and it brings you right into the heart of the mystery of the Mass. So place, O Lord, on my head the helmet of salvation that I may overcome the assaults of the devil. And of course, that's very true. The devil is very active in these days. One of the priests in Sydney, Father Danny Ma, was having lunch with him and a couple of others, and he just said, you know, the devil is very active here at the moment, isn't he, in this particular point in history. I guess in some ways he's always active, but he seems to be more and more active. And you can just see the signs, you know, the violence, the, the wars, the, the sort of the nudity, the sort of immoral sexuality, the sort of hatred that people have. You can see all these different signs that are very much signs of the demonic. And, uh, you know, he's an accuser. Our Lord called him an accuser, a liar, a deceiver. And that's, that's his main work, in fact. After you've sinned, he likes to come and accuse you and put you down. So you see a lot of people having a lack of hope. That's one of the signs of the demonic as well. One of the signs of the Holy Spirit who's an advocate, someone who's called to your side, is the reverse. So this opening prayer is a good reminder to the priest and to the people that, uh, that we're in, a, we're in a, a sort of a struggle here. And we're in a, in a, in, you know, we don't want to overemphasise the struggle because the, the devil has been beaten, but you know, he, he is around and he's there to discourage us and to, to sort of make sure in some way, if he can, that our salvation is not assured. Well, it is assured, so we, we remind ourselves of his existence. So place, O Lord, on my head the helmet of salvation that I may overcome the assaults of the devil. Now this is the alb. Now this one's a little bit smelly after all the hot weather lately, but anyway, there it is, a bit crunched up. So um, this one is, uh, Purify me, O Lord, from all stain that washed in the blood of the Lamb, I may enjoy eternal delights. So purify me, O Lord, from all stain that washed in the blood of the Lamb. I may enjoy eternal delight. So you get that symbolism of the lamb, Christ being the lamb, the lamb that sacrificed. This is the, the cincture. Uh, it's a sign of restraint. Gird me, O Lord, with the cincture of purity and quench in my heart the fire of concupiscence that the virtue of continence and chastity may remain in me. They're very rich prayers, aren't they? Yeah. Concupiscence, yeah. Well, tomorrow afternoon we're going to sort of talk a little bit about concupiscence. It, it's got two meanings, one good and one negative. On the positive side, concupiscence is um, your desire for material things. So we'll talk a bit about that tomorrow. The, the basic emotional thrust we have towards the good things of the earth. But now with sin, concupiscence takes on a, a different meaning. It means an inordinate desire, a sort of wrongful desire for things of the flesh, not just things, physical things, but just basically for sin. So that's what it means. It means a desire, a basic drive within us towards either good things, but now because of original sin, it can be, the good things can be turned to evil things. So gird me, O Lord, with the cincture of purity, Quench in my heart the fire of concupiscence, that the virtue of continence and chastity may remain in me. Now, continence, when we talk about the virtue of chastity and living purely, there are two things that we sort of try and achieve. One is a, 
a basic thing called continence, which means, well, I've got a strength of, of, of being averse to anything that's impure. But then I've also got to try and be integrated, so there's another thing called temperance, which is the virtue, which means I begin to find it easy to be pure. But there will be moments when I'm just going to have to reject things with a sort of strong will. That's continence. See the difference? Continence is sort of like a, um, like a break. It's like a break. puts the break on the, this sort of... You know, let me give you an example. The young man goes to the beach and is very, very attracted by two girls or a girl that walks past who's dressed in a perhaps inappropriate way or something. I don't know. Just You can take an example. So he says, right, no, no, I won't, uh, I won't bother with that. Now, the, the virtue of temperance is sort of, it's, much, it's a much more wholesome thing. It's saying, well, you know, there she is walking past. Well, you know, that's, that's fine, but I'll let that go because I'm married to my wife and I'm deeply in love with my wife. So he has the, the man has the virtue of temperance. But every now and then he's got to get a break, put the break on, because the emotions can sort of flood him or the desires can flood him and he needs to break it. Uh, St. Paul talks about this in uh, Corinthians where he says, flee fornication. So when you start to feel these different feelings of things, just get out, get out of the room. It's an old saying, you know, when the, when the kitchen gets warm, get out of the kitchen. Get out of the kitchen. So that's the cincture. This is the, the stole, and uh, the stole is uh, used in every sacrament. Uh, Restore to me, O Lord, the stole of immortality, which was lost to me by my first parents. And although unworthy to approach, approach the sacred mysteries, grant me nevertheless eternal joy. So here you, we're coming up against the whole mystery of death. So death obviously was not of God's making. God's created life that it be. So death comes in as a result of sin. And this was the part of the promise. Remember that God said, uh, the devil said, you know, he, God knows that you won't die when you eat this food. No, no, you'll be just like, like God. But in fact, that's what happens in that very symbolic uh, text in Genesis. So uh, with sin, death enters the world. And so that's what sin is. Sin is a form of death. It's very good to understand this, I think. When, when, when we sin, we, we say sin is an offence against God. St Thomas says, well, it's an offence against God in the sense that we offend ourselves. We offend our human nature. We become less, not more, through sin. Something dies in us. So this uh, stole, restore to me, O Lord, the stole of immortality, which was lost to me by my first parents. And although unworthy to approach the sacred mysteries, grant me nevertheless eternal joy. So Christ has come to restore life, to give us uh, abundance of life. He's come to put death to death by his death. <laughs> the early church fathers like to say that. Christ has put death to death by his death. It's good, isn't it? Like it? I think I'm clever. I'm not. I'm just repeating what they said, <laughs> the church fathers said. Christ has put death to death by his death. And this is one of the great themes of the Mass, the fullness of life that floods into you through the gift of communion. Have you got your hand up? Or? Yeah, in a sense it is true, yeah. Death is the enemy, yeah. I mean, who here wants to die? Does anyone want, you know, if you had an option to die tonight, would you take it? <laughs> Why? Because we've got this principle of, of wanting to live, don't we? We've got a great desire to, be, to live forever. And it's a, it's a true desire, and it's actually realised. 
uh, beyond the grave because Christ has put death to death by his death. Oh, well, because it's now part of our nature. And now because, because Christ has transformed death, what Christ does with his mercy is not only forgive sin, but he transforms what's essentially bad into what's good. So St. Francis of Assisi will say that death becomes our sister. It become, death becomes an encounter, in fact. So remember, of course, before original sin, I mean, we wouldn't have lived forever on this earth. We would have just transitioned from this life to the, to the next. But we wouldn't have had the experience of death it's theologically the experience of death is the separation of the body and soul so that wouldn't have happened before original sin so we would have our life and a natural life would have finished but we wouldn't have had that separation of the body that, that's what death is that's that's what the bible means by death it's a theological meaning of death it's not a scientific account of death so that's why it's difficult for us but then we know well because christ has entered into death himself this becomes a moment of encounter with him it becomes the moment of the resurrection. So we, we experience in that resurrected power, uh, which is magnificent. Now, I had an experience of this as a young priest, a younger priest, I should say. I'm 22 years a priest now. It's hard to believe. I'm going to be 50 this year. Hard to believe. Old enough to be your father, Jess. How old are you now? 19? Yeah, 19. So I'm... Um, and uh, so that's it, you see. So I'm. Uh, what was my train of thought? Um, uh, oh yes, this, when I was a younger priest. So I was in the I was in the outback. <laughs> it's in the outback, and I was saying mass in a country church. It was very hot. It was in the middle of summer, and I'd consecrated the um, the host, and then I knelt, uh, genuflected as the custom is for the priest, and then I had this overwhelming sense. I've never had it since that Christ had risen from the dead. As I genuflected, I had this really deep sense that Christ had risen from the dead. I can remember it to this day. And then I just I had to stand up and then take the chalice. I mean, it was so vivid to me. So, you know, at some stage you'll probably have, I mean, you may or may not have an experience like that. You may have another type of experience. But God does grant us these things as we grow in faith to help us to, to understand the truth of what we're living so that's the stole. Restore to me, O Lord, the stole of immortality. And this is the chasuble, which means a little house. That's what it means. O Lord, who has said, My yoke is sweet and my burden light, grant that I may carry it so as to obtain your grace. Beautiful, isn't it? O Lord, who has said, My yoke is sweet, the cross, and my burden light, Grant that I may carry it so as to obtain thy grace. So beautiful. No? So a priest sort of sets himself up to say Mass like that, and uh, it's very, very helpful for him. And it's very, very helpful that he sort of prays them for you because that's, the, that's what we say the priest offers the Mass for you, and you come and offer yourself uh, during the Mass. So then we begin in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. So the new translation is trying to, we think, trying to bring us into the mystery of the spirit of ordination that the priest has. So we say that the priest is acting in the position of Christ the head. And you're Christ the body. Okay, so the priesthood is very, very essential to the church. I mean, we can do without priests. We can do without them. We've shown this in different parts of the world. But we can't do without uh, good marriages and family because that's basically where the faith is passed on 
But we could do without priests, but we don't want to. It's a very beautiful story when I was in the United States told to me by um, the uh, Russian Catholic bishop, the Catholic bishop of Russia. And the Catholic church in Russia is very small because of the Orthodox church. And he said that during the long time of the communists, that there were no priests. They'd all been murdered or you know, shunted out to Siberia. And the people would come into the church and they would get the stole. And they'd put the stole over the altar. And they'd all kneel down, the few of them. And they would beg God to send them a priest. Very beautiful. And then he said, then they'd go to the cemetery where all the priests were buried. And they'd kneel down at the dead priest's grave and confess their sins. <laughs> now, I mean, you could almost cry at that. I mean, that shows you a, a great appreciation for the priesthood. And they'd pray, Lord, send us a priest that can hear our confession. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? So we should pray for priests. <clears throat> don't, don't think that um, we priests, Father Anthony and myself, just two of us here, don't think that uh, we're anything special or we're confirmed in grace. We, we're just like you are. We go through the same ups and downs that you do. You know, if you, if you plot life on a graph, you know, the, 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 the basic sort of um, trend of the graph is upwards. But you do, the, like any graph, like you watch the stock market, it's doing this, isn't it? Is that how you feel you're going? But you're still going forward, but you're going up and down a bit. And there's some big troughs and then some big highs and then down. That's like life. And that's true of priests as well. And even true of the saints. You think of St. Bernadette, who had the appearances of uh, at Lourdes. She had a really bad temper. I mean, she, and she was very moody. But she, you know, she kept going at it, kept struggling, and she, she made it. And this is true of a lot of saints. St. Francis de Sales was known as one of the great gentle saints during the time of the Reformation. When he died, they turned his table upside down, his bishop's table. They found all these screech, scratch marks underneath it. He's scratching the thing. There's people coming to tell him, Argh. There's one way he controlled his temper and his temperament. Um, that's it, isn't it? I mean, that's just, this is the reality of life. So don't think that we priests, so you really should pray for priests. When you, when you come to Mass, make that one of your first steps to pray for the priest. Whether he preaches well or whether you like the way he says Mass, all that's sort of irrelevant in a sense. You know, some people like, they like going to priest-hopping Masses. I like this priest. I don't like this priest. Well, unless he's absolutely appalling which is very rare. I mean, support the priest and, uh, and pray for him. Because you know that when you pray for people, things really change. If you pray with faith, things absolutely change. And priests do need your, your prayerful support. So the Lord be with you and with your spirit is, we think, a recognition of the special grace of ordination. Now, the grace of ordination is one of service. There are two sacraments in the church of service. So you've got the three sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, and um, the Eucharist, which bring us into the life of God. If you look at all the sacraments, they, look, they deal with stages of life. So baptism with birth, uh, confession with stuff-ups in life. We, we muck things up. We need to come back and be reconciled. We mature as human beings, so there's confirmation. It's a sacrament of maturity. We need to be fed. It's the Eucharist. We love each other. We need to marry. There's one for marriage. We need a, a priest. All religions have priests, basically, some some. Very few don't, but most of them do. So all of these sacraments, and the last one is the sacrament of the sick because we die and we get sick. So there's, right along the stages of life, Christ has provided for us these marvellous 
uh, encounters, these marvellous means of grace. So the priesthood is a, a sacrament given for the benefit of everyone. So the priest is conscious of the fact that he's, he's celebrating the mysteries as Christ the head. So when it comes to the words of consecration, he's not saying, this is Tony Percy's body. Well, I mean, you just well, let's go, let's get out of here. We don't want his body, his scrawny body, and it's, they don't want that. I mean, you might want the other bloke who was, he was a bigger bloke, he's got a better body than I've got, but even then you'd get out as well. I mean, after, after a while you'd get out. So it's Christ's body. So this, I mean, the priest doesn't say, this is Christ's body. Right? Notice what happened. This is my body, he says. So the priest is acting in what we say is persona Christi. The priest is saying, this is my body. So it's like Christ is saying the words through the priest. Okay? So Christ is the head entering into the body. So in that sense, the, 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 the Mass is like a marriage. Right? It's like, it's, it's like the great nuptial moment when Christ married the church, when Christ married humanity. So that's what the priesthood is about. And to the extent that priests do serve the church, that's wonderful. To the extent that we don't, it's a disaster. It's an old Latin saying, corruptio optimi pessima. Have you heard of that? Corruptio. Bridget, you've heard it? Tell us what it's about. The corruption of the best is the worst. Corruptio optimi pessima. So did anyone know a bit of Latin? I know a very little bit of Latin, but that's one I know. That's true of the priesthood, true of sexuality, it's true of all good things. All good things can be corrupted, like the concupiscence we were talking about. So the pray for the priest and, and ask the Lord to send priests. Question. Oh, okay, the, uh, the indelible mark. Yes, there's an indelible mark with three sacraments. So it marks the soul of baptism, so it's unrepeatable. So it, it marks the, the person changing from a mere creature into a son or daughter of God. Uh, so much so that when you're baptised, Christ looks at you and doesn't just... What's your name? Uh, Sonny. He doesn't just see Sonny, but he now sees Christ. Uh, he sees another Jesus Christ when you're baptised. That's, that's the indelible mark of baptism. Confirmation is this whole sense of making you into an apostle, a modern-day apostle. Gives you the, the, the drive, gives you the, the authority, really, to go out and preach the gospel, whether you're a priest or lay people. That's, that's the, the grace of confirmation. And uh, the grace of ordination is this sense that you are now Christ the head, not just a member of the body, but in some sensing transcending the body. But it's, a, it's an authority to serve. Because as you know, the word from the Latin authority means to help grow, to augment. So you're there to help people to grow into Christ, not to stop them, not to impede them. And basically the, the priest does this through his good example, but also through his words and the way he encounters people. So that's the indelible mark. He's now acting in the head of he's acting in the in the notion of Christ the head, whereas you can't do that as a as a baptized person. Only the only a priest can act in the, the headship of Christ. Okay? Now what is headship in the Bible? Headship doesn't mean ruling over you, headship means serving. As Christ laid down his life for the church, so Paul says husbands should do for their wives. So don't fall for that Protestant thing, oh, the, wife, the, the, the husband's the head of his wife, and they have this sense somehow, not all of them, but some of them, that somehow you know, the, the, the man is ruling over the wife. No, no, headship means he's laying down his life for his wife. 
And therefore he's going to, through his sacrificial love, is going to lead his wife and children into the mystery of a life with Christ. That's the meaning of it. And St. Augustine said this years ago, we had, he gave up and gave this homily, and there were just men, just fathers of families in the congregation. And uh, he started by saying, my dear fellow bishops. So clear was it in the early church that uh, the family was the domestic church. That's where you, you handed on faith. And the husbands were to be like bishops, that is overseas. They're there to help things to grow, help, pe- help people to come to fruition. So then we uh, call to mind our sins. We just simply gather together. It's a, it's a general calling to mind of sin. If you've got any grave sin, you should confess it before you uh, bother coming to communion uh, in confession. It's got to be grave sin. There are three conditions for grave sin. It should be grave. You should know it's grave and you should have given your consent to it. Um, usually the problem becomes a consent. Sometimes we don't give full consent to these things. So you might be involved in a a grave matter, but it may not be full consent. But if you're in doubt, then it's a good idea to confess. So we basically call to mind generally our sin, sins and sinfulness. Then we ask for the mercy of God to penetrate it. So the Lord of mercy is like a litany. I would, yeah, the question is, yeah, yeah, should we, should we be calling to mind specific sins or should we be, you know, um, this particular sin. I would just say, let yourself be led by the Holy Spirit. Generally speaking, you just call to mind your sin. And you may, it may come to mind yesterday you were selfish in an encounter you had with some woman you could have been more generous or something. Or you, you, know, you gave your mother the short shift and said, see you later, I'm heading off, and left her on her own when she really needed some help or something. So it just depends. But usually, because the Mass is full of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to inspire different things at different times. So um, that's what I would say. And then, then we, we let the mercy of God penetrate the sin. So as I said before, not only is sin forgiven by Christ, that's, that's something great, because you can't forgive yourself because sin relates to God. So this business today, you know, you've got to forgive yourself, that's ridiculous. You'll, you can't forgive yourself, it's impossible. Only Christ can forgive you, and that's what sets you free. Right? So, and then he not only forgives the sin, but he also penetrates the sin with mercy. So if you go to John Paul II's second encyclical on the fatherhood of God called Dives in Misericordia, it's rich in mercy. It's a beautiful, it's a short encyclical, very easy for you to read. Um, his first one was called Redemptor Hominus, Christ the Redeemer of Man. So there he's dealing with the, the sort of the way Christ penetrates human beings. This one is the way that Christ relates to the Father. In it he says, look, you know, mercy is not this idea of just having sympathy, like I have sympathy for you because you're suffering. So that's a nice thing, but no, no, he said mercy is much greater than that. Mercy is penetrating the person so much so that what was evil now becomes good. What you thought was actually destructive of your very life now is taken by Christ and transformed unto the good. So St. Paul has this thing in Romans in 8.21 or 8.28 or something. All things work unto the good for those who love God. So this is a wonderful reminder at the beginning of Mass that you're coming into a transformative event. It's transformative. And you've got to communicate this with your young ones, with young friends. They're burdened by sin. So don't worry about it. Christ will take that and transform it. 
So someone, some, someone's got an addiction to stealing or something, or they're addicted to the internet, they can't break their addiction on the internet, they're spending hours on the internet, well they start to bring it, they open themselves to Christ, they'll get the grace for that to be turned around upside down, and that, that God, Christ will take that and transform it into something that will serve your salvation. It's a marvellous thing. And what he does too is he takes the weakness, that your weakness, and makes it into a strength. Archbishop Mark Coleridge from uh, Brisbane has this great saying. He said, when a, a young man comes to the priesthood, I'm not interested in the gifts that he brings. Because you know, a lot of priests are quite gifted. You look at Father Anthony about there's a lot of gifts there. But he's not interested in the gifts that are there. He's interested much more in the weakness. Can the weakness of this man be transformed into a strength? Now, I think that's great advice for you because you know, you're young and you're setting out on the spiritual life. For God's sake, don't make the mistake of thinking that you can eradicate every vice that you have or every bad habit that you've got. Don't think you can do this yourself. You can't. But if you open yourself to Christ's transforming love, then he will change it. He'll change it, not you. So therefore, you have a tremendous sense of freedom in your spiritual life. You're not sort of weighed down with, oh, you know, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. Sure enough, you've got to pray. You do. And there's a struggle in that. But it's, it's a minute struggle. The main thing is to open up your life like a chasm. Open up the space within you to, to God and he will transform it. You remember John Paul went to uh, a little school in Melbourne when he was out here in 86 and this little kid said, how many rooms are there in the Vatican? And he said, oh, I don't know. But I'm much more interested in the room that's in your heart. That, that's it. That's what, that's what the Christian life is. All we have to do is open our life and there'll be this encounter with Christ that'll be tremendous. And the Mass is the, the key thing. Now, you're hanging out for a big question, I can see. Um, my question is, um, I'm currently running a Bible study with a friend of mine uh, on a Saturday afternoon and um, we're reading this uh, passage from Matthew's Gospel where it says... Um, when you're offering, offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, go and um, reconcile to your brother and then offer your gift at the altar, what does that mean? Yeah, it means what it says. Um, it's, a, it's a Jewish, very Jewish practice as well and the Christians bring it in. Christ brings it into the, the Christian practice. So it means if you're not reconciled with someone, be reconciled with them. Yeah. Now, sometimes, of course, that can't happen because they don't want to be reconciled with you, but at least in your heart, you're reconciled with them. And the best way to do that is simply to pray for them. You would have noticed this when you're at odds with someone, if you begin to pray for them, had a bit of a stoush, you begin to pray for them and think of them, it just disappears. Why? Because you're beginning to see them as Christ sees them. And, you know, we've got to give people a lot of slack because we, we make a lot of mistakes in life. So you've, you've really got to give out the slack. Is that okay? So then we, we have what we call as the collect. We, we might have the Gloria. if, it's a, if it's a, We won't have it today in Mass, but here's the collect, the opening prayer. The collect means that all, of, all your prayers are being collected. So the priest will say, let us pray. And they're collected um, and prayed by the priest on, on your behalf. So the one today... Uh, I just had a baptism during a Mass this morning. It was actually perfect for a baptism. O oh God, whose eternal word adorns the face of the heavens, 
I could recommend to you to, to take these prayers to your own spiritual life. In fact, what I would recommend to you in your spiritual life is, is to take the prayers each day of the Mass, the readings, and just use those for your meditation. You won't go wrong. And you'll feel as though you're letting yourself be led. You don't have to go and find Bible passages. Let's let the Church lead you each year over and over again through these fundamental mysteries. The first reading or the psalm or the gospel may hit you and just let Christ speak to you. So I'll, sp I'll speak about that in a minute. But these are very good prayers to, to help you to pray. So, O God, whose eternal word adorns the face of the heavens, yet accepted from the Virgin Mary the frailty of our flesh, grant, we pray, that he who appeared among us as the splendor of truth, beautiful prayer, may go forth in the fullness of power, so what that's bringing you into is the mystery of Christ's weakness and Christ's strength. That's how Christ is. St Paul says Christ died in weakness on the cross. But now he lives in the power of his resurrection. So Christ does understand your weakness. And he takes it with his power and transforms it. That's a very beautiful prayer. Then we have the... The word of God. So if I was to say to you, look, take two things away from this little catechesis. I'd say two things. The Mass can be divided really into two parts. The first part is the word of God. That God speaks to you. Remember that text in the Old Testament with Samuel and his father Eli. And Samuel begins to hear something, someone speaking to him. So he goes to his father Eli and says, did you call me? And he said, no, I didn't. Go back and lie down. So they must have been you know, in, in the evening or the early morning or something. And then he hears another voice, Samuel, Samuel. So he goes back to his father. You called me. He said, no, I didn't call him. Go back and lie down. And then he hears the voice again, Samuel, Samuel. And he goes back to Eli and Eli says, well, hang on. Look, if you hear it again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So he goes back and God says to him again, Samuel, Samuel, using his first name as God does with you. And then he rises up and says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So this is the essence of prayer. God, you know, Eli didn't say to him, go back and say, if you hear this voice again, go back and say, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. Most of us can think that's what prayer life's about. We've got to say things or construct things and but that's not true. It is important, obviously, to express things to God in your heart. And when we do the emotions tomorrow, we'll see how, why it is important to be able to express things. But basically, the whole idea of prayer is to be able to let God speak to you. So you've got to come with the conviction, particularly as it's proclaimed at Mass, that God is going to speak to you. He's going to speak to you not in sentences, not so much in phrases, but he's going to speak a word to you. A word. And the word will be for you. So the one that I got this morning as I meditated on this was repent and believe in the gospel because that's the gospel today. But you might get another one. Jesus went about healing all those who had diseases. It could be anything. In, in, it could be one part of the psalm. But you must come with faith, realizing that God wants to speak to you. So that's the first part of Mass. Then the, all the priest is trying to do is to also give you a word to try and confirm some word for you. 
So hence, often a homily that's very short and brief will actually touch you more than a long, flowery homily because it's a word. It's, it's, it's a word that God wants to speak to you. And I can tell you, my, my experience is God speaks to me every day in and through the word there. I'm not a maniac. I'm not mad. I'm not crazy. But he does speak to me because it's the word of God. It's called the word of God. Now, that's the first part of Mass. Then the word becomes flesh. That's the second part. So the, the second part is the word made flesh. So we use a, a pattern, which is in my left hand here. This is an old chalice, which was in the, the Kuma parish where I was raised as a boy. It was uh, dilapidated. Mum said to the parish priest, can we take it and give it to our son as a gift for his ordination? And there's the chalice. I'd like to pass it around as I talk. And uh, it's metal, it should be gold-plated, it should be at least metal. Why? Because it's going to contain the, the precious blood of Christ. And the same with the pattern. It'll hold the, the sacred body of Christ. So the bread is taken and uh, the words are, take this all of you and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. So we, our belief has always been in the Catholic faith that the bread is completely transformed into Christ's body, blood, soul and divinity. So it tastes like bread. If you put it under a microscope, it would have the qualities of bread after the consecration. It smells like bread. It's got the texture of bread, a wafer, but it's not. It's Christ's flesh. And then the words of consecration over the wine. Take this, all of you, and drink from it. For this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. Now notice the words are for. It's, it's done for you. So it's the, nat the nature is sacrificial. So when those words are uttered, the, the action of Christ's death and resurrection is made present for you. Think of it this way. You've got a memory. I've got a memory. God's got a memory. When God remembers things, it's so vivid, it's present. That's the way the Jews uh, operated. So Jesus is a Jew. He still is a Jew. He comes out of that great tradition where they celebrate a Passover, where the memory the memory of the past events is made present completely and utterly through this ritual action. So it's not a vague calling to mind, we remember the death and resurrection. It's not like that at all. It's God remembering in such a fashion that his very body and blood are present and therefore the mystery of his action of dying and rising is present. So it's the most powerful thing that you have. Notice the, the new words of consecration are very helpful uh, this is the chalice of my blood which we poured out for you and for many. The old words used to be shed. Now, I'm very, very happy with the new words because to shed, I mean you shed some skin you know, in hospital. They say there's so much, people shed so much skin in hospital. They clean it up and put it in the bin. Or you shed a tear. Well Christ doesn't shed his blood. He actually pours out his blood. It's like a fountain just washes over you. So this is a tremendous gift. And then we, um, we pray uh, the great prayer, the Our Father, then we prepare ourselves for communion. 
So just as, as Christ offers himself in the Mass, so at that moment of consecration, we offer ourselves to him. Notice that we offer, but we don't sacrifice ourselves. Only Christ can sacrifice himself. Sacrificio is a, is a Latin word which means a holy doing. Only Christ can do that. So he takes your offering and makes it one with his sacrifice. So we offer, but our offering becomes a sacrifice because of Christ's sacrifice. So all the love that you've ever desired is present here, even though you can't see it. You can't see it. If you're an atheist, you come in and you think, well, what's, what's all that about? What are they using bread and wine for? But if you're a believer, then you know that uh, this is the mystery of Christ's very life. So when you go to communion, you receive his crucified and risen, resurrected and ascended body. You have all the grace within you. And as Augustine says, you become what you receive. Normal food, when you receive the normal food, you, the food, like I had some cereal this morning, I don't know what you guys had, it's become part of me. But the reverse is true here. Because Christ is a higher being, I become part of him. So as John Paul II said very, very beautifully, not only do we receive Christ, but in fact in communion he's receiving us into his life. It's a beautiful way of looking at communion. We receive him, but don't focus so much on that. That's important because you can become a bit too much focused on yourself. But the fact that Christ is receiving you in communion as well, it's a mutual exchange. With his exchange, the greater part of the exchange. Question. Why does it say um, the blood will be poured out for many and not for all? Oh, yeah. Well, it's a very biblical thing for many. It's just the way that uh, the Bible expresses the many. It, um, it's, it's sort of the one. And it's a philosophical sense of it too. The one and the many, which means the unity and the diversity. So here we are here. We're one, aren't we? Yes, but we are many. See the sense of it? Yeah. That's a good, very important question because Christ died for every human being. And the church has sort of, it's like concentric circles. There's a, there's a sort of group of believers in the middle who sort of are conscious that knows what goes on. Then there's others outside who, who are people of goodwill. Like I heard a Hindu on the radio the other day from India. And uh, this ABC reporter, she said, well, how do, how do Hindus celebrate Christmas? And should you... Oh, he said, we celebrate it very well. He said, uh, we're very religious and we celebrate the Christian feasts. He said, because we really do love celebrations. Now, there's a Muslim woman in India too. I heard this this morning from an Indian priest that uh, she's the head of some group in India and she organised all the Christmas celebrations in India, some group in some part of this uh, region in India. So, um, did Christ die for a Hindu? Absolutely. So, Augustine says this, you know, don't think that these great teachings of Christ, this great life of Christ is meant only for a few. It's meant for everyone. But because the church is a light and it's salt, notice the image, it's a light to others, it's a salt to others. So, not everybody clearly is called to be part of the Catholic Church in that sense. Right? Because otherwise, what would the imagery mean? The light and the salt. So salt is that thing that gives flavour and preserves, and light is the thing that shines in the darkness. So the best thing we can do in the church is to be that light and that salt, which will then help people to, to embrace the truth.
But we shouldn't assume that people who don't confess our faith are not sharing in this mystery of Christ's love. They, they surely are. Well, time's marching on. Any more questions? I hope that's been a helpful catechesis. The word becomes flesh. And then uh, you're sent out at the end of Mass. Go forth uh, in peace. That is, go, go and live what you've celebrated. You've died here with Christ. You've risen with Christ. Go and do that with your brothers and sisters. That was Father Anthony Percy with Breaking Open the Mass. For more from the Immaculata Mission School, visit cradio.org.au.